Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. Welcoming uh, Steve Oaken, Senior Advisor at McClarty Associates, and Kate Howard, our political consultant in Washington, D.C., and the founder of Vote Girl Vote. Good morning, Steve, and good morning, Kate. Good morning. Good morning, boys. Great to have you both with us today. Let's uh, start out with the latest news just over the wires this morning. Prime Minister Lee in Washington, D.C. this weekend till next week, uh, along with an entourage. And then they'll be going to uh, New York City as well. Uh, Steve, uh, bring us up to date on that. Well, look, I mean, this is all happening, of course, in the context of the the greatest uh, you know, geopolitical uh, event of our lifetime. And that's, you know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the, the, the murder uh, and killings that are going on in Ukraine, the refugee crisis that has resulted, and the shocks to the supply chain. And so what's happening is the whole world is now shifting where the focus used to be on globalization, right? How do we come together to where now geopolitics drives things? And from a U.S. perspective, I think from a Singapore perspective as well, you know, ASEAN is critical as to what's going to happen. And unfortunately, the U.S. was not able to get that leader summit with with the um, with ASEAN that was supposed to happen this coming week. So it's so important that Prime Minister Lee is going to talk about what happens between the U.S. and ASEAN. What is going to happen in ASEAN is a result of this crisis, because we are going to see food shortages in ASEAN. We're going to see labor. Uh, we're going to see inflation uh, increases in ASEAN. It's going to be just such a critical time to have uh, Prime Minister Lee there meeting with President Biden, Vice President Harrison, and so many others. Kate, on that point, uh, Steve and I and Glenn have talked many times on this show that in the initial stages of the Biden presidency, there was a suspicion, a fear, a concern maybe that ASEAN wasn't high on his list of priorities. You know, you're there in the U.S. What do you think about that, U.S.'s relationship with ASEAN? Uh, I, I think it's very I think it's very important, and I think it is very much on their radar screen. There's an awful lot going on in the world right now that's pulling everybody on every direction, and at the moment, um, there's a tremendous focus on uh, the the tragedy that is unfolding in the Ukraine in Ukraine. Um, but I have no doubt that we are looking east as much as we are looking west. We look at both the Pacific and on the Atlantic side. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, thanks for that. Can't Kate. move without either. Yeah, Kate. There's also uh, is is Prime Minister Lee's visit on people's radar there in the U.S. right now, or is it still uh, news? Really hasn't been out enough, or and or people just you know maybe aren't focusing on other things. W- will it make the news? It will make the news, and it will certainly make the news with those that you want to be paying attention to it. Yeah. So I have no doubt that it's going to be uh, that. I was on a call yesterday, actually, with um, State Department and what we um, on another issue. And what came across loud and clear is we know that uh, the daily news is focused on Ukraine at this moment. But don't think for a minute that all the other issues are not driving and moving as they should be. Yeah. So um, you will be seeing you will be seeing coverage. You'll be seeing the think tanks holding events around it. Um, And, you know, life. There's an awful lot out there right now. But life is going on in other areas as well. Yeah, Steve, just, I, was, I was just going to say Go briefly, uh, the Foreign Minister Vivian Balakrishnan, mm-hmm. uh, Minister for Trade and Industry, Gan Kim Yong, Minister for Communications, uh, Josephine Cho, and other, uh, you know, a who's who kind of of Singapore political uh, life are joining the, 
the Prime Minister on that trip. Absolutely, because it is very important, Steve. I saw President Biden make a speech yesterday talking about guaranteeing energy supplies to parts of the EU critically so they no longer have to be reliant upon the Russian supply chain. Do you see similar conversations taking part with Prime Minister Lee, the emphasis on supply chains, energy supplies, because they are becoming pertinent issues here as well, aren't they? Well, I mean, I think it's why it's so critical to get that ASEAN summit rescheduled. I mean, it is, you know, if you look at the fact that Russia and Belarus account for roughly 40% of the fertilizer imported into Vietnam and Indonesia wow. and a quarter into Thailand and Malaysia. So if that goes away, um, then what is going to happen uh, to all of all of ASEAN? And, and so getting the prime minister there to, to be able to really articulate what is happening, what are, what's going on with the governments in the region, with the cost of energy going up so much, and when Indonesia subsidizes its energy costs, right, from the government to, to its citizens, well, then now that money is so much more expensive, what else are they going to lose out on? And so th- this whole issue of resilience in supply chains, how governments and countries work together, how ASEAN fits within the U.S.'s Indo-Pacific strategy, um, how do we get not only the, the commodity side, but the digital side? The U.S. isn't part mm. of the digital trade agreements that Singapore has been leading. Maybe we can get a digital trade agreement or something along those lines. And I'm sure that will be on, on the prime minister's agenda with his U.S. counterparts. Yeah. We're speaking with Steve Ogan, the senior advisor. If, if, I may, I would, sure. yeah, please, if, if I may, I would echo what Steve said. I mean, the supply chain issues are just enormous and we cannot address the issues facing Ukraine right now if we don't have a global response. Hmm. And global response doesn't just mean Europe. It means the world because the reverberations of Russians' actions are going to deeply impact everyone. And I, in response to the earlier question, I'd also say, you know, the west coast of the United States, the west, west of the Mississippi River, I guarantee you they're looking, they're, they're paying attention to this. Yeah. I mean, it's a key point. We were just hearing this mm-hmm. week, the wheat supply alone, that yeah. I will put my hands up and say I had no idea until the invasion how much wheat Ukraine uh, supplies yep. to parts of the world. Mm-hmm. It's extraordinary, Glenn. One out of every 10 loaves of bread in right. Singapore comes from Ukrainian wheat, for example. Mm-hmm. Hey, we do have to move bread. on. Uh, sorry. Bread basket of Europe. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's Kate Howard, of course, political consultant and founder of Vote Girl Vote. Kate, let's go uh, start with you on the next one, which is uh, the f- the wrap up of uh, confirmation hearings for Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown Jackson on Thursday this week. She went through uh, four days of grilling, as do all Supreme Court uh, potentials uh, nominees do. Uh, how did that go for her, and what were our takeaways from that process? as it relates to her being elevated to the U.S.'s uh, highest court? Well, I'm in awe and a fan. Um, only, um, only a woman of color would have to face that sort of grilling. Um, she's talented. She's skilled. She, it, I just I really was struck at one of the questions that she was asked. And she just she sat there. She kept composed. You could hear the sigh. And she responded with respect and with dignity and with grace. Uh, for, those of and, our, for those of our listeners who didn't watch or, or hear those hearings, what, what was so strident about the questions toward her? You mentioned that only a woman of color would face. Can, can you uh, give us a little bit more background on that? They are held to a standard that women, women, women of color are still to this day 
uh, the week where we saw the passing of our first woman, female Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright, are still held to standards that no, no one else gets held to. And you see the questions. You see the questions, the the expectations, the um, that just that just are not placed upon other candidates. There was a wonderful tweet, um, and I wish I had I wish I had found it before this interview, where somebody said, "This is the only job in the world where you would be interviewed in the U.S. where they ask you questions that could never be asked hmm. in a private sector or an NGO setting." Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it just the behavior of these, the behavior of a few actors. It's just embarrassment. Well, just to give it a bit of context, Steve, some of the things, uh, and it was Republican uh, lawmakers who asked her, said accused her of providing free legal services to help terrorists get out, <laughs> uh, accused her of calling uh, President Bush and former Defense Secretary Rumsfeld war criminals, uh, Ted Cruz pressed the ideas, his views on critical race theory. So you can see clearly the road they're going down here, Steve. It's not very subtle. It's very obvious. <laughs> what does she do? How does she fight this? Well, I'll give you, you know, one of the questions she got was, um, can you provide a definition of the word woman? And <laughs> her answer, uh, her answer was, I can't. I'm not a biologist. Right? <laughs> so I think... That's how you respond to those to those types of questions. And I think to yeah. keep in context, that it, and this is, I mean, the reality, and it's also extraordinarily de- depressing, mm-hmm. this is uh, about politics for certain Republicans like Ted Cruz, like Josh Howley, mm-hmm. who are running for president, and they mm-hmm. are appealing to their base. This isn't yes. about, is a person qualified mm-hmm. to be on the Supreme Court? This is about how many clicks do I get? How much money can I raise? True story. When Ted Cruz started attacking the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Senator Durbin, um, and it was just ridiculous how he was attacking him, and, and then they got into a, a, a bit of a back and forth. There was a photographer of the Los Angeles Times who was behind Ted Cruz who saw that Ted Cruz immediately went to Twitter to see how he performed <laughs> on Twitter by picking this unnecessary and, and, and ridiculous fight with the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. So it's about tweets. It's about reactions on social media. Um, and so she will be confirmed. Um, everybody knew that. Uh, we were 95% knew that going in. Now we're about 100%, let's say 99.9%. Mm-hmm. So it was about these Republicans who were playing to their base, who were talking about the definition of a woman, talking about critical race theory, has nothing to do with being a justice on the Supreme Court. And the fact that she is a black woman, the, the way they asked her those questions made it worse. Kate, let's broaden this out just a little bit because, uh, for example, the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said, hey, this is no different than the Democrats' treatment of Brett Kavanaugh when he was being vetted for his Supreme Court. Uh, you know, everything came up about his drinking in college and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and let's be honest, there was more than, few, more than a few points uh, trying to be scored there politically uh, from the Democratic side. Are, is this just always... Uh, a, you know, a bare knuckle brawl when it comes to people trying to get points, especially in a by-election year such as we're in now. Um, I mean, look, the Kavanaugh hearing was appalling. Um, a woman, cre- I'm going to quote the Washington Post editorial board: "A woman credibly accused Mr. Kavanaugh of sexual assault, and Democrats rightly asked the committee to investigate, and a superficial F- FBI review was done." 
and Republicans press forward with this nomination. And this is not the same. This, you can't even compare these. Okay. But what is clear is that this entire process is, as, as Steve said, it's just it's, it's political show. And they're not even speaking to America or the people they even represent across their full mm, state. Mm. They're speaking to a subset of people in their state, the hardcore, and, the, and their counterparts outside of their states. Mm. Yeah. So we're not even talking about proper representation. I, they're not doing, in my opinion, they're not doing their job. Uh, Kate, if I could just stay with you. We had a comment from one of our listeners, viewers, and Mike said, Lindsey Graham's comments were just atrocious. And, you know, to Steve's point, it's about tweets. Kate, what seems so depressing to people like us watching from Singapore? It's not just about tweets. It's about racism. Pure and simple. That's what it looks like. Ted Cruz is pandering to a racial element by asking questions like critical race theory. He wants the first black woman nominee to essentially disavow these books about white privilege. She's not going to do that, clearly. But when you break it down and you strip down all the academia and all the law talk, it's about racism, Kate, isn't it? Well, I think you just answered your own question. <laughs> so it's 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 appalling, and 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 it's very troubling to see the double standards, the persistence of how far we still have to go, and I think also what's interesting is that when you go back and you look historically at some of the legislative um, records from the past, mm. um, I've certainly done that with uh, around women's suffrage. And around immigration, you see this throughout history. It's just now we see it in our televisions and we see it instantaneously on Twitter. Yeah. And, and everyone and just, sees it. Yes, Steve. And, and Kate, you just said you know, we, we've still got a long way to go. In a way, we're going backwards. Right? And, mm-hmm. and, and so if you look at the first three, the last three first for the Supreme Court, right? Thurgood Marshall was the first black uh, person on the Supreme Court at all. He was confirmed 69 to 11. And this was in 1967. Sandra Day O'Connor, first woman, confirmed 99 to nothing in, mm-hmm. in 1981. In 2009, not all that long ago, Sonia Sotomayor, the first Latina on the court, was confirmed 68 to 31. There's a real chance that this confirmation is it, probably going to be 50-50 with, with Vice President Harris being the tie-breaking vote. First time that's ever happened mm-hmm. that a Supreme Court justice did not get a single vote from the other side. Maybe there might be one or two Republicans who cross over, but it'll probably be two at the most. And so it's we're going backwards from a political perspective in, in, in our country. And we should be. And I agree with, with Senator Cory Booker, um, who, who said after all this ridiculous questioning, um, in part, some of the look, some of the questioning from Republicans was very legitimate, but some was illegitimate. And, yeah. and, and Senator Booker um, said, I'm not letting anyone in the Senate steal my joy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she is a great woman. She is so well deserving of this. She's going to get confirmed. And to see you know, to see Judge Jackson tear up at, at Senator Booker's statements was was really moving. And I think that's what people are going to remember, mm-hmm. in addition to Ted, uh, Ted Cruz holding up the anti-racist baby um, uh, yeah. book that he got ridiculed for. Uh, we do have to, in, yeah, go ahead. Last comment on this. I was just gonna say, yeah, no, sure. I was just going to say, and, and, you know, there were there was still some there were still a few members on the other side of the aisle on the Republican side who conducted themselves with decorum and dignity. But until the party takes back decorum and dignity from the individuals that I, I won't even name them, the individuals who behave so atrociously, um, we're going to continue to see this. 
Absolutely. But, um, it's and we have and something we have to address because the system it's it's dangerous at this point. We uh, we're going to close the the segment uh, today on, um, on on paying tribute to uh, former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright passed away this week at the age of eighty four. Kate, I, I understand that you worked with her uh, under her uh, at the State Department. Let's lead off with you and your uh, your reminiscence or your uh, sort of idea of what her her legacy is to not only women in politics, but politics, uh, U.S. politics. And and diplomacy. Yeah. I was incredibly lucky. I was in the State Department in the Clinton administration as a very young staffer um, in the late 90s, uh, when uh, just joined just after she was appointed. And, you know, she'd been in the administration for a long time. And what an incredible trailblazer. She was one of Jimmy Carter's first appointees, working National Security Council. And... Um, I think in retrospect now, in hindsight, when I look back at her service, um, I understand just what – I didn't think much of it. I was like, well, of course it's time for a woman to be Secretary of State. Hmm. Now I'm, now I'm looking, looking at Judge Jackson this hmm. past week. I realize just what an enormous um, hmm. legacy she's left for us. And I think if we – NATO has a great deal to say to uh, to be appreciative to her for the expansion of NATO in 1997 and 1998, when during the 50th anniversary of NATO of the NATO of the North Atlantic Treaty and the NATO Alliance, when we brought in uh, the Czech Republic and Poland and Hungary, the alliance did not and not led in large part because of her efforts and her understanding of um, Soviet era politics. Mm. And I think if we didn't have that legacy today. I think we'd be in a very different space um, in mm. Europe right now. Um, I loved um, – the other thing I would say is I, I think now I understand better how she held herself um, and how she interacted with staff because the enormous pressure, she was not allowed to make mistakes. Mm. And um, really just an amazing you – know, a remarkable career. I've been, I would, I've been going back and looking back at her career – Uh, One really, just the thing I I really do, I hope you guys have read about, or if you haven't, I would uh, direct you to the Smithsonian article on it. Um, She did diplomacy with pins, and she took an antique, out-of-date fashion item that my great-grandmother wore, brooches, pins, Mm -hmm. and she turned turned the word pin, which used to mean a direct, which used to mean pin money, you know, the little bit of money that women could get from the men in their lives, and she turned it into pin diplomacy. And there's some wonderful stories about why she wore pins and which ones she did. She wore a serpent because the Iraqis kept calling her a serpent. Um, <laughs> when they found a so when they found a Russian bug near her um, office, um, a listening device, she wore a large bug pin on her next meeting with the Russians. <laughs> and uh, she also wore uh, the monkeys hear no evil, speak no evil, see no evil pin. Um, with Vladimir Putin, and Putin apparently asked her and said, what's with the pin? And she said, it's because I don't like your Chetan policy. And she said, I probably went too far on that one. <laughs> oh, that's great. Steve, so, we're, up, we're running out of yeah. time, Steve, but you work with her, you sure, do her. Sure. T- tell us your story. Sure. So we were on a Zoom with her. We were very fortunate, and this was only a couple mm-hmm. months ago. We have these Clinton alumni Zoom calls, and we bring in you know, the, the guests. Yeah. And so Secretary Albright was on, and, 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 and her advance team was rep- reminiscing with her about her travel and what it was like. And she said... She said, oh, let me tell you a recent travel story. She said, I'm at, I'm at Dulles Airport, long line right outside of D.C. to get through security. I was in pre-COVID days, right, to, to get through security. 
Um, and she said, the woman behind me is like, oh, this line is so long. She goes, yeah, I know. So we're just, you know, just chit-chatting a little bit as they're killing time. So Secretary Albright puts her back through the screen. The machine stops. The, the security screener comes out from behind the screen. He's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I cannot believe it's you. Um, I'm from Bosnia. Can I take a picture? You are a hero to us. Wow. Like, of course. So they take the picture. And, and it holds up the whole line, of course. And then the woman who was behind Secretary Albright goes up to her and says, who are you? I have no idea who you are. And Secretary Albright says, well, you know, I, I used to be Secretary of State. And the woman goes, you were Secretary of State of Bosnia? <laughs> <laughs> oh, great story. Well, we do have to leave it there, guys. Uh, thanks so much for your, uh, for your input you. today. Kate, thanks for joining us from Washington. And uh, we'll look forward to, uh, uh, to more discussions, especially about, uh, about the, uh, the Supreme Court nominee uh, as that comes. So uh, appreciate you both being on with us today. Have a great day. Great. Thanks for having us. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.